Warning, this podcast is known by the state of California to contain spoilers. I'm thirsty. Oh, you missed this spot. <laughs> Gonna have a cookout, huh? Go ahead. Go ahead. Right, like dare to cop. Go ahead, you pig. Come on. I'd rather burn up than fade away. <laughs> After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2. This is the podcast looking at movies in a franchise, one film at a time. I'm Matt Bradley Shergi. I've been doing this for six years. I almost messed up my intro. With me <laughs> is my co-host, William Thrasher. I've been doing this for slightly less long as Matt, and my intro is flawless. As always, flawless and sparkling like a sausage on a morning day. Consume so, clear water. At this time around, we're talking about a Nightmare on Elm Street, and we're doing a special TV show spin-off. Uh, uh, the pilot episode with Freddy's Nightmares and Nightmare on Elm Street, the series. Um, uh, yeah, uh, for people that couldn't understand my terrible accent, <laughs> we are doing a very special look at the pilot episode of Freddy's Nightmares and Nightmare on Elm Street, the series, which functions as a, uh, a prequel, uh, Fred Krueger's um, Origins, as it were. Although the way it plays out is different than I was expecting. I've been looking oh, yeah. forward to watching this episode for years, and um, it was able to, to, to find a copy, and um, it's directed by the late Toby Hooper. And I mean, so where do you want to begin? Do you want to talk a little bit about Toby Hooper, well, and then a bit about the show, and then the episode? Or well, right off the bat, I just wanted to talk about the overwhelming popularity of Freddy and his level of cultural saturation. Because by 1988, Freddy was big enough that he could anchor a television series. This, last, this Freddy's Nightmare anthology series which was the sort of syndicated answer to Tales from the Crypt. It ran for two seasons. It had, I believe, 44 episodes. Right. It, um, it, recall, Friday the 13th also had a TV series, but that was a very tenuous connection to <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street. And this one, Freddy Krueger as the Rod Serling, makes sense, man. It's pretty... And, you know, if you like uh, shitty puns, um, you'll love these bookend sequences. He's got all the personality... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he, he really he doesn't slum. He doesn't he doesn't act like he's slumming it. He he's all in. Um, it's quite refreshing. But I guess we should talk about Toby Hooper though, because sadly, uh, in, in in the run up to us deciding to do Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, the great director Toby Hooper ended up passing. Uh, yes, 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 and um, it's real. It's really a shame because Toby Hooper, I think, was sort of. Um, not as well respected as some of the other masters of horror, to, to use the name of the Mick Garris series uh, from a few years ago. And um, he did a lot of very memorable work. And let, let's do a quick discussion of his career, stuff we like, stuff we don't, and then we'll get back into talking about um, this episode of Freddy's Nightmares, which Toby Hooper directed. But he, he started out, well, Toby Hooper had started out as, a, as an independent filmmaker, then he did the the 
the horror movie The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and, for, and that kind of set him on the path of, of becoming an iconic horror director. Yeah, and I, I just saw the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre for the first time um, earlier this year. And man, what uh, what a great example of how scary a movie can be, although it, when you don't have a whole lot of blood, like a lot of it's just off screen. Um, the acting is very naturalistic. Uh, it's weird. It's dark. It's um, it's funny at times. It, there's nothing else like it. Yeah, I think and I think that's the thing about about Hooper is that he al- he always leaves uh, leaves an impression. Uh, there's always something memorable. Like one of one of my favorite Toby Hooper films is the uh, sci-fi vampire movie Life Force, which was a uh, which was a canon film. Uh, it's it's the film that he made for canon in exchange for making Texas Chainsaw Massacre two, which is very different from Texas Chainsaw Massacre one. But the thing the thing about Life Force is, it's it's cheesy, it's hammy, it's over the top, but all those choices are deliberate, and the film is loaded with just such memorable images, and it is unlike any other horror movie, then or now. Yeah, um, no, Toby Hooper adapted um, did two takes on Stephen King one with uh, one of the first Stephen King TV movies in 1979 with Salem's Lot oh yes and um, and then later in 95 with The Mangler which is based on a short story I'm not making this up about a laundry machine that kills people an industrial strength like laundry machine that kills people <laughs> oh and you know one of my favorite things he ever did uh, and it's just it's a perfect nexus of all the things I love um, is that Toby Hooper directed uh, an episode of Amazing Stories the episode Miss Stardust uh, is that which, with Weird Al Yankovic? yes yes yeah, it, yeah. Weird Al Yankovic <laughs> plays an alien cabbage uh, and it and it's a it's a sci-fi comedy about an alien cabbage who comes to sue the promoter of a of a of a Miss Universe beauty pageant for false advertising because it doesn't have contestants from all across the universe. Well, he actually did quite a lot of anthology television. I'm I'm looking here. Um, Tales from the Crypt, Perversions of Science. Um, did he do? Oh, Perversions of Science. That was such a not a good show, but a fun show. I am shocked he didn't get another season. And the real. Um, Two more things I want to mention. We can talk about Toby Hooper all day, but um, and perhaps we should on a, a different episode. But you know, his his last film has not seen an official release in the United States. It was filmed in uh, 2013. It's called Jin, as in D G I N N, you know, Genie. It's the first like horror film um, financed and set in the United Arab Emirates. It's in Arabic and English, and um, apparently Toby Hooper didn't have final cut, and he had a final cut that's pretty cool that close friends of his had seen. Um, but there might be versions of this floating around online. I'm not really sure. It had its premiere at the Abu Dhabi Film Festival, and um, there's a lot of legal reasons why it could not be released. Oh, that um, sucks. Especially in its original cut by Toby Hooper. So um, I've never seen it. I'm quite curious. Um, you know, I, I, you can always have a good genie horror story, right? Um, there's a lot to be done with that sort of mythology and, and stuff in that part of the world. Beyond Wishmaster um, and all that. No, yeah, yeah. Um, another anthology film that Hooper contributed to, Body Bags. 
You remember that one with the? Uh, Regrettably, that's one I haven't seen. John Carpenter did a segment. Uh, Hooper did a segment, and then Larry Sulkis did a segment. And um, Mark Hamill's in in one of the sections. Oh, cool! It's uh, it, I think it was meant as a backdoor pilot that never took off. But anywho, um, I've heard Funhouse is pretty good. I haven't seen it. Um, and we should talk about uh, the infamous controversy on Poltergeist. Oh yeah, where there is um, there is uh, a tremendous amount of there was a tremendous amount of dispute about whether that film was truly directed by Hooper or truly directed by uh, Steven Spielberg. Yeah, now Spielberg, um, one of the few films he's credited for working on the script with, Goonies is another one, and AI is another one. Uh, so it was Close Encounter of the Third Kind, but otherwise Spielberg typically doesn't do, um, or is not credited for writing. Um, in I, I did see, uh, in, in some coffee table book, I, I don't recall which one, sorry listeners, um, Spielberg mentioned something along the lines of, in retrospect, it was a mistake for him to be working on that, and um, if it was 82, it might have been E.T. or something at the same time, because his heart was in both of them, and he couldn't direct both at the same time. Right. And um, the, you couldn't, I'd love to hear what, what you've heard about it, but what I've heard is Steven Spielberg was such a, a power and force in Hollywood at that time that he would he would get excited and start to take over a lot of the directing, and Toby Hooper was a, a polite man, and didn't um, isn't the kind of person to Spielberg was his boss on this film was the executive producer was the reason he got the gig, and he wasn't going to fight with his boss that wasn't that's not the guy he was, um, and I heard Spielberg did something similar with uh, Bob Zemeckis on the film Used Cars. And I've heard rumors about that, too. Did you? And uh, apparently Kurt Russell just basically outright said, I can't make a movie like this. Who, who's directing this picture? Because if you don't tell me who, I'm going to walk off. Hmm. And um, so I heard it was sort of a similar situation. But what, what have you heard about Paul Drugheis? Because there's a million stories about this for decades and decades. And they're only going to get more that since Toby Hooper has passed, you're gonna, more of these are going to come out. Well, no, it was, it was just always the controversy of who who directed most of it. That that the whole reason I've I've heard that the only reason Toby Hooper even got credit was because of some secret arbitration with the Directors Guild. Uh, you know, I've oh. you know I've heard I've yeah. heard that Spielberg was originally going to make it, but he had to drop out, and Hooper was his last minute replacement. Uh, I've also I've also heard that. Hooper was supposed to direct it, and Spielberg was Hooper's last-minute replacement to save the production, but due to Director's Guild rules, Hooper's name was still attached. Yeah, it's very difficult, especially at that time, to get a two-director credit on a movie. You, there's a lot of rules with the Director's Guild, the DGA. Um, you know, what percentage of the stuff is original material. Um, a famous example where that happened was Superman 2, right, where Richard Donner filmed a lot of it, but then, you know, like 90% of his stuff was scrapped, and instead it was done by uh, um, a, a British director whose name I can't remember, who did that Beatles film, um, Richard Lester, that's it. Mm. But yeah, um, you know, 
much, much respect to Toby Hooper. I mean, I, I, I want to talk about something else really quick before we go back to Freddy's Nightmare since we're on the topic. We've lost a lot of um, horror legends uh, in, in the past few years. Not only did Wes Craven die um, a few years ago, but also this year, uh, 2017, um, George A. Romero died. Oh, yeah, who, who just, as of this recording, just, I think, two days ago, got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Isn't that great? I wish we would have been alive for it. But, yeah, it's um, yeah, it, it's nice to see the fans can pitch into these Kickstarters to help that happen. Because to get a, a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame, not only do you have to go through a process, you have to pay money for the star. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah, they don't, they don't right? happen I mean, it's, spontaneously when you reach a certain no. level of fame and acclaim. Uh-uh. Yeah, yeah, it's not like the, the Oscar Lifetime Achievement Award or something. Um, so that's, that's, that's always amusing. Um, yeah, George A. Romero. Any quick thoughts on him? Just that he he kind of deserves his own episode of the sequel cast. Very, okay, fair enough. But you know, but um, you know, you know, you know, foundational. All the foundational texts of the modern zombie movie, the modern zombie genre, are are born out of him. And he's worked uh, before his passing. He worked in a, a comic book. I forget for which publisher. That sort of crossed over zombies and vampires in sort of more of a... And that actually got sold as a TV series. Um, I forget to which network. So that'll be coming soon, a Land of the Dead TV show. or I don't know what it's called, but something of the dead. Um, not to mention there's a million movie titles that rip off the Of the Dead um, title, right? Including a, a Cuban satire, Juan of the Dead, which I think is my favorite pun title. Yeah, those movies have been worked over thoroughly. Return of the Living Dead, 1, 2, and 3. Uh, yeah, anyway. We'll Actually, Return of the Living Dead, those aren't Romero movies. No, but I'm just thinking of things that say of the dead oh, or right, of the living, right. you know. Uh, okay, Freddy's Nightmares, Nightmare on Elm Street, the series. We're going to talk about the pilot show directed by Toby Hooper. And um, so I say I really enjoyed this, but this is exactly what I wouldn't do for a Freddy origin story. What's interesting, and I think um, Robert England is a bit too old for this now, but he always wanted to do a move a feature film version of this story. That would have been oh, that would have been so cool, wouldn't it? Yeah. So I'm gonna uh, say but, this this grabbed yeah. me from the very beginning. I loved the fake out beginning. Why don't you describe it? Yeah, so so the way the episode begins, it begins with a local it begins with a local news segment, just a standard uh, late '80s cheesily produced local news segment that is so bland and so boring. But as the newscaster talks, his own body starts to break up like static, and he starts to notice this going on, and he starts to panic, and he disappears. And then we get a test pattern thrown up, and the test pattern just so happens to have the colors and stripes of Freddy's oh, jacket. Sweater. Or sweater. Yeah. And then, you know, a little please stand by shows up, Freddy's claws tear through it, and we get a nice little intro of Freddy in his boiler room talking about how this isn't your nightmare, it's not the newscaster's nightmare, it's his nightmare. And then we go straight into the story as we see a municipal courthouse in Springwood, and that same newscaster just, like, 
unstatics and appears in the steps of the of the courthouse and is completely disoriented. But then a line producer hands him a clipboard, and then they start doing the expositional news report about how infamous child murderer Freddy Krueger, Frederick Krueger, has been captured and is on trial. And we jump straight into the final day of the Krueger trial. I mean, you could do. I, I think the ideal way to do this story is not as a movie, but as a, a, like a six-hour miniseries. If you wanted to go in depth, yeah, and that's that's the thing that you really could, you disappointed could have the court case me. Be a whole like a court case could be the movie in itself, right? Wouldn't that be fascinating? Yeah, because because I, I feel like we should we should have seen Frederick Krueger being Frederick Krueger. I think I think a big mistake that this makes is we never see Robert Englund's face. He's always in shadow, so even when he's not burned up, we never get a good look at his face. We never, we don't get to see him do any terrible things as Freddy, and everybody knows he's guilty from the very beginning. This this courtroom scene is something that the story should have built to. It's like they yeah. can't wait to have the demon of dreams, you know, that we've been seeing in the movies. So they have to, they start so late in the story, and it really is. You got to wonder: Can you get a fair trial if you're trapped in a glass box and shackled head to foot? I love the glass box, though. That's, this is a nice visual. But yeah, it's it's trying to do a Hannibal Lecter kind of thing. Um, yeah, I can see that. Eh, Although this, I, I don't know, this is where yeah. we get to, to some, some legal wankery. And I'll get this out of the way. I am not a lawyer. But because we, we knew in the first film that like the warrant to search Freddy's boiler room was improperly signed, and that's why he, he, he got away with it. But I don't... I feel like that's not how it works. I, I thought it's it's and again I'm not it, a lawyer, it, but it's my understanding that if 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 because in this they they retconned that it wasn't the warrant wasn't properly signed. It's what they it's that they didn't read Freddie his his rights, which it's my understanding that if they don't read you your rights, you you're still charged. They just can't detain you. I'm doing some research on that. Um. Because, like, the fact yeah, is, like, they found talking. bodies. They found bodies in his boiler room. <laughs> they found bloody stuff. They found his murder implements. There's no way Kruger gets to walk. Okay, so according to uh, nolo.com, sort of a free legal advice site, um, it says, uh, Many people believe if they were arrested and not read their Miranda rights, they can escape punishment. Not true. But if the police fail to read a suspect his or her Miranda rights... The prosecutor can't use, for most purposes, anything the suspect says as evidence against the suspect at the trial. Of course, there are exceptions, as where public safety is at issue. So, yeah, the one thing that this courtroom scene does very efficiently, though, is every character that's going to be important in this episode happens to be in this courtroom. Including including the two girls who escaped Freddy, which I think is really cool. I would have loved to have seen that capture and that escape. Although, they spend so much of the first act right next to each other, I kept waiting for it to turn out that they were conjoined. Which seemed yeah, like well, a Toby Hooper touch. <clears throat> Indeed. Um, one thing I was quite confused at, because the, the version of this that we watched, the, the audio quality in particular is really poor, are any of these meant to be characters from the first film, or no? I think I think they're supposed to, be, uh, but they look nothing like them. They, 
Because yeah. remember, the, the main girl's parents were part of the mob that killed Freddy. I, so I, I do, and that's be... why I was wondering that. But I, I didn't recognize a lot of the names of the characters, but it could have just been the quality of what we were watching. No, because there's also the possibility that they might not have been able to use those names due to, like, a Writer's Guild things, you know. Sure. It's, it's entirely um, possible that the only thing they're allowed to use in Freddy's Nightmares is Freddy himself. But yeah, so you know, um, Fre- I- Fre- Freddy gets <laughs> off scot free, goes straight back to his boiler room where he has where he has an ice cream truck, which again feeds into the notion like. It, it, it's like they're they're trying to use like pedophile indicators, even though they always make it clear he only murders children. He doesn't do anything else to them. I forget if by this point in the films they ever use the word um, he's a molester or a sexual criminal, or if they loosen that up. I, I know in the remake of the first film, they 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 they, they change that stuff uh, and make it more explicit, but. Um, I like the ice cream truck. I think it works, and I think it's um, you get some interesting things. Uh, uh, Freddie, I like that you get to see him get scot free, but get chased, and you get to see him be burned alive. Yeah, which that, is that's something... very satisfying to see after them just talking about it in the first film. You know, it's true. I do the the effect of him getting burned alive is great, and yet. I, I don't like the payoff because like it's it's in the first in the first film it's sort of made clear that that he was he was he was killed by a mob who got him who who trapped him to his lair and then set the whole place on fire with him inside but in this it's like Freddy wants to die it's like he knows he's gonna turn into this dream monster so he just lets himself be doused with gasoline by the police officer and then lets the police officer set him on fire and he's even talking about how I am forever you can't get rid of me. Like, there should be a struggle. There should really... It, it also means that Freddy's death, only one person is responsible for it. So why is he going after all the kids to get revenge? Right, because they make a big deal. Um, I saw this earlier in the week. I don't remember it as much as I should, but um, my short-term memory is complete garbage. But isn't there... Don't they mention, like, well, the guy that has to you do, do the actual lighting him on fire has to be the guy that's the cop? Well, and that way he can cover it up better or something. I don't feel I don't I don't think that that I don't think they say that in the run up to the death. It's just that after Freddy's dead, the the officer promises to sort of use his resources and connections at the police office at the at the, uh, mm, at, the at the station to, to keep anyone from finding out to just make this their their little secret, which does become a thing. Like he gets his friend on the because like everyone wants Freddy dead, so it, it, it's believable that the police would would go along with this. But his friend at the his friend at the police office or at the police station, you know removes and hides the body. They tried they plan evidence to make it look like Freddy just skipped town, which does lead to some neat building of the stakes when they get a message, they get a wire that the FBI is going to show up. They want to interview Freddy because they believe they they can link him to a murder that happened out of state, which is great. I wish we saw that. I wish we saw the FBI come to town and I, I yeah, wish we could have yeah. seen the creeping paranoia I think that's what this story should have been it should have been about mm. all the adults in the town committing this 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 murder 
and then them dealing with the guilt and the pressure of trying to keep this cover-up going when, uh, when the FBI comes to town. But it's not. Instead, it really all just becomes about the police officer being tormented in his own dreams by Freddy. <laughs> and we get some great dream images. The dream sequences are, are awesome. I, just, love I just, the, the story out of focus itself is and, where I take yeah, issue. I, I love in the dream sequences you get stuff out of focus and slowed down and, and very trippy, very surreal, and a lot, a lot of good effect of, of Freddy's laugh. A lot of good practical effects, too. Yeah. Like, I love that bit where he has the dream where, like, there's a knock at the door, he goes downstairs, and someone's left a birthday present wrapped in Freddy Krueger sweater pattern <laughs> wrapping paper. They make good use out of that. And how, like, the glove bursts out of it and starts slashing at his face and shoulder. It's like, Not those that, moments it's, like that are so good. And so Those well, moments are what make yeah, this worth watching. I think with Toby Hooper, you, you get, he's always good at portraying, I think, madness and, and kind of crazy people, and, and especially in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? And you get some of that here. Um, I really like the the odd angles and the the lighting in the, the boiler room. That I think is is pretty effective, and it reminds me of some of the uh, oh, it, oh, you know, the, the subterranean lair of Leatherface's family in uh, Texas Chainsaw Two. There, there is an echo of that. You're right. Yeah, some of the color and the light, some of the purples, and um, going on. Uh, so, also. I, I just don't like the main performance by the actor that plays the cop, who's sort of the main character in this. I think I think he does okay. I mean, he's he's bland in that way that only your local neighborhood cop can be. But when, yeah. when, he, when he has to be afraid, it doesn't quite work. Yeah, Although, I, I don't I love, buy it. I love that he suffers real injury. Like, I love that bit where he's driving and he sees Freddy's ice cream truck heading straight towards him and he hits his brake and he slams his face against the steering wheel and he and he breaks a tooth. And I love that that broken tooth becomes a runner throughout the rest of the episode. And the ending is really strong. Oh, yeah, where, like, they're going to... No, talk about because he starts... I love how, especially in the second half of the episode, you get a lot of that character's paranoia. Yeah, and you also do get a lot of what is a dream, what is reality, because one of the th- creepy things that happens is they can't is when is that when his friend goes to hide fr- Kruger's body, he says he can't find Kruger's body, and that there's a different body there, uh, and there's like another you know, and there's like a guy who's been murdered, by, apparently by Freddy after his death, and then it turns out no, that was a dream. The, the officer did successfully hide Freddy's body and hide all the evidence, but yeah, the officer goes to goes to his friend, the dentist, because they're gonna. He's the, the dentist is gonna help him conceal some stuff, and the dentist is like, "Oh, well, you you got that chipped tooth. You know, it's five minute procedure. I can get that fixed for you." So he goes, oh, "Okay." So he goes into the he goes into the dentist's office, and the dentist's nurse, uh, you know, gets him all comfortable in the chair, gives him a sedative, and of course the sedative starts putting him in putting him to sleep, so Freddie can attack him, and it's great because like the nurse like. Every time they cut back to the nurse, once the guy starts dreaming, she's wearing less and less clothing. Uh, and then the nurse turns into Freddy Krueger. There's that awesome shot uh, where, like, Krueger's glove, instead of the blades, it has different dental implements, and he's just going into the guy's mouth. That's oh, great. And and the guy then it turns out the guy died on the uh, on the dentist chair. Yeah, I mean, I, I was <coughs> excuse me, cheers. I was generally disturbed 
by Hackam. Um, I was genuinely disturbed by you, you get the the take on Freddy's glove, but it's all like rusty dentist instruments That's going towards the guy's job. mouth. Yeah, and, and and you don't see you see a bit of blood in viscera, but it's not um, like hostile Eli Roth levels of stuff. And uh, but it's still quite effective. Like I don't I don't hate dentists, but I don't like going to the dentist. And it, it sort of preyed on those fears. And certainly, pe- there's a lot of um, uh, literature on, on nightmares of people's teeth being broken or teeth falling out. Oh, and yeah. It, it, that's, it, that's one of those primal dream images. Yep. Um, what else about the show? Uh, I, I was a bit. I thought this would have focused more on the, uh, the teenage girls, but they're not as big of a deal as I thought it would be. It, well, actually, I love that bit where they've got, because they're worried that Freddie might come back, there's a police officer who's hanging out, like, in their front, in the girl's front yard, is just like a, a guard. And there's this really sweet scene where the mother gives him a plate of fried chicken, uh, because, oh, you're going to be here all night, I'm sure it's cold, so here, have something hot to eat. And he's out there eating, and of course, the, the Freddy, Freddy shows up to attack him, and there's that great scene where we see, you know, he sees Freddy, Freddy jumps at him, he gets the claw out, and we cut to the officer's polished uh, boots and the plate of fried chicken falls at his it's a paper plate it falls at his feet it's got the chicken bones on it but it's got the Freddy claw marks on it which is such a, such a great image and the blood splatter starts coming down on it that's a really good way to communicate this guy's death yes that's, that's quite effective uh, it makes me want to see more of this series and uh, I just want to mention in the United States um, we only ever had a, a handful of episodes released on videotape, uh, nothing on DVD. Um, in the UK, they got a complete series set back in 2003, and uh, currently in the United States, you can see it on the El Rey Network. Sometimes they air it on there, which is the... Um, have you ever seen that channel? I think it's pretty entertaining. Re- regrettably, no. We don't have it here. Yeah, we don't have live TV, but I, I watched some of it at my mom's house um, when I visited back in March. So, and, uh, oh, go ahead. Go on. Oh, oh no, that's it. Well, okay. So I, I really like this. I would like to watch more of this. So I'm looking at the episode guide. Turns out the season finale for season one is a Freddy Krueger story. So, what do you say huh. if we can find episode 22 of season one? We watch yeah. that. And we do another one of these bonus episodes next week. I yeah okay I I can put my detective hat on I will do my best but yeah I did not that, that's a good eye I did not actually read these episode descriptions yeah so, apparently um, there there's more uh, season two has like another Freddy story as well so we might do we might do a few of these yeah they're Freddy centric ones um, I know on YouTube you can at least find clips of all the Freddy Krueger wraparound segments which um, is a pretty amusing watch depending on how much you like puns. But if you like Nightmare on Elm Street, you have to love his puns, or else you're not going to get through much of the movies. I know there's <laughs> one There's one of those interstitials where Freddy is uh, dressed as a, a rap DJ. He's got yes. the gold chains, and he's, he's yep. working the turntables. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some some prop, some uh, potentially problematic ones as well. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I say sequel yes to this. Highly recommended. I, I came in, I've been wanting, I've been trying to find this episode for... Um, 20 years, jeez. And as, uh, to, to finally watch it was, was a, a real treat. Yeah, as off as it is, it's a worthy entry into the Freddy mythology. I mean, it's the, the, the horror images alone make this worth it. Yeah, and uh, instead of pitch a sequel, what I think we should do is just talk about 
if, if let's say if money was no object, um, Mr. Mr. Hollywood came to your house, Thrasher, with his Hollywood bags of money. Mr. And said, Hollywood? Here, you can, yeah, Mr. Hollywood. The, the Mr. Hollywood. Um, he said, Thrasher, uh, you can, Thrasher and Matt, each of you make your own version of this same storyline. And it can be a miniseries, it can be a movie, uh, whatever you want. I, I think... I think that I would do it as... I, I would make this feature length, but I'd... Uh, I'd, I'd really stretch this out. I would. I would definitely end it. It would flat out end with with Fred getting burned alive. But I want to start it from a very normal place. It's going to start, uh, in, you know, on on Elm Street. It's going to start in Springwood, and everything's normal. And yes, children have gone missing, but it's a problem that the city is sort of trying to ignore because the implications are too horrific. And one of the things we're going to do is that we're going to see Fred being Fred. We're going to see him as a normal part of this community, maybe even a respected part of this community. Like, he's the friendly groundskeeper slash handyman that everyone knows and everyone likes, and no one suspects that that's how he's learning about these kids and figuring out the best ways to kidnap them. So, to the point where we, I might even try to trick the audience into thinking that Fred's kind of nice. Like, he would be another staple of a classic American small town until you realize just what a monster he truly is. And we'd get lots of Robert Englund, uh, and we'd, we'd, see, we'd see Robert Englund act without the makeup, and we'd still let him do these nice sinister turns. And the scene where Freddy gets burned alive, it will be truly horrific. Uh, uh, it'll be prolonged. We will see, uh, you know, we will see the mob that's come to kill him, just kind of staring him down as they as they watch him burn. So where would you end it? No, I would, I would flat out. End, well, I guess if we're gonna have the a last scene, so so the the climax will be Freddy getting burned alive. The denouement will be the fires out, and it will be. The you know the police officer the sheriff kind of agreeing to help cover up the, the cover up this the killing of Fred and it ends with all the parents taking a piece of evidence to hide or destroy in their own way, ah, uh, yeah, including you know the the parents taking the glove and hiding it in their boiler at home. So that'll be the uh, last shot yeah. is the glove going into the boiler. Nice, nice. Um. Yeah, if, if I could, you know, redo this story, uh, no, no questions asked, I would do it as a six-hour miniseries, and I would also do it in such a way where, um, so six-hour miniseries, three episodes, two hours apiece. The first one would be um, almost like a murder mystery where it's like all these kids around town are, are disappearing and their bodies are found. Uh, mutilated, hmm. and, and and you don't know who's doing it. There's a few suspects, and then uh, it, it night one would end with um, Fred Krueger being arrested. Night two is would be a sort of a different genre. Would be the whole legal case, and you'd have stuff with the media going on and stuff with the parents sort of intercut with that. It'd be the whole court case, and <coughs> night three is. Uh, the parents getting revenge, but I would also expand a bit upon um, him being obsessed with the dream demon, hmm. and and go into that a bit more. And it would end with a recreation of his first kill from the first film. 
Oh, and can I say one thing that I would do um, <clears throat> with with this uh, is when when because I would show the court scene as well. I would try to make it as legally plausible as possible that Fred gets to walk. I would consult with uh-huh. lawyers and judges, and I would try to construct a trial where where a person with that much evidence against them could just flat out walk. Although, in a, you know, although in a way, wouldn't it be even more horrific if it is one of those things where they only can't detain him, and so the town rising up as one to kill him is premature? Yeah, that would that would be pretty cool. Um, neat. Yeah, it's a lot of food for thought, a lot of fun things to to chew on here for fans of the series. Um, so let's. We need to. I need to wrap stuff up. I have some stuff to do, unfortunately. But we'll we'll do our next segment and kind of close out. How does that sound? Oh, no problem. Okay, so we're gonna move on to what you're watching. Uh, do you mind if I start? Oh no, go right ahead. Okay, so I had the misfortune of oh, watching no. a brand new Halloween special on TV, and I saw a commercial for it on on Hulu, and I said, "My God, that looks like something from the late '90s. This looks horrendous." <laughs> I'm talking, but then, and someone on Twitter said, it's a piece of shit, don't watch it, Matt. That just made me want to watch it more. So, uh, yesterday morning, I got up early just to see this. Michael Jackson's Halloween. Oh, I heard that that was going to be re-aired. Um, it is. You know, at least it's available streaming right now if you have the CBS On Demand uh, subscription service. But is this, is this the one that was originally done for MTV, the Who's Spooky no, Now? No, 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 no. It's not the live-action... Um, that's Ghosts. Um, oh. Where he's the man, the old man. This is a brand new, uh, done by Michael Jackson's um, estate. estate, I guess, or, or executors. It's it's his his family doesn't own the rights to his stuff. Uh, <laughs> in in his will, interestingly enough, it's his I think former attorney and someone else, some music executive, which I think is, is smart in in a way, um, considering how messy it would get if it went to his family uh anyway yeah so uh, there was a tie-in album uh, released with this called scream which is just yet another michael jackson greatest hits compilation but it has uh like like a new remix of um, one or two of his songs and it has a song that michael jackson is not the lead performer in but he does the chorus somebody's watching me i gotta feel oh, yeah. it Somebody's, Somebody's watching, watching me. me. I got but no it is like see. a spoken word, like when I look in the mirror, I can't see my hair. Yeah, so that sort of that sort of stuff. Who's I, I really watching like that me song. now? Um, the IRS. IRS. That's right. Yeah, it's a it's a very funny spoken word kind of song with a catchy <laughs> chorus. I think Michael Jackson might have been helped writing that song. I don't know much of the details, but but anyway, Michael Jackson's Halloween. Um, the research I did. His estate says if this does well, they want to do a whole series of animated Michael Jackson specials focusing on different seasons, kind of like the Charlie Brown specials. I'm going to tell you the storyline, and I'm not making this up. And just please cut me off when you have questions. Okay. Do you care if I I spoil it? No, no, go right ahead. Go right ahead. Okay. So, um, you know, there's two... uh, Two, I guess they look like high school kids because they have jobs. Um, one of them, he secretly wants to be a DJ, but he, he works as a as a clerk in a grocery store. 
And uh, the other one is a, a girl that really loves to play guitar, but instead she's just a student. I don't, I don't, I don't think they get to her job. And they, um, and they, you know, uh, bump into each other in the woods because um, there's a magic limo driving around town. <laughs> okay, a magic limo. <laughs> yeah, magic limo. Um, you don't, I believe the driver is Bubbles the Chimp, and he speaks. Oh. And is it Michael animated? Jackson, yes. No, yeah, I didn't mention that. It's animated, it's CG, but it looks like late 90s CG. Uh, the environments don't look bad, but the characters look like Barbie dolls. They look really bland, and there's not very good lighting. Um, yeah, so... Michael Jackson, and they purposely don't show his face until the very end of the show, uh, goes uh, with, with Bubbles and commands Bubbles to make these two kids unite in the woods and magically also creates a Michael Jackson scary mansion in the middle of the woods for these kids to enter. Okay, I'm looking at some of these character designs. Yeah, they are, they are a little action figure also, I, I, I did actually want to mention the, uh, the one thing I thought sort of funny is the girl is starting her first job as a, um, she's like a, a secretary, not even a secretary, she's like a, a gopher at a corporation, they're just having her get coffee for people and stuff, and the corporation is called like the big corporation, and... If she does well and works 100 hours a week and kisses her boss ass, she can, she can get the special job of COG. And you actually hear the line of dialogue. I've always wanted to be a COG for the corporate machine. Oh, God. Very on okay. the nose, huh? Yes. Um, you don't get much of that satire. I, I grant you even calling it satire. But that, that's... And um, anyway, so the girl and the guy go in... Uh, go in the magic Michael Jackson mansion in Halloween and uh, who is behind the the desk the concierge Bubbles the chimp and there are skeletons and shit and Bubbles is laughing he sticks him in and he throws him in an elevator they're transported to another dimension in a land populated by pumpkins that dance to Michael Jackson songs the lead pumpkin um, looks a lot like um, oh What's the name of the pumpkin guy from Wizard of Oz? Oh, Jack Pumpkin. Return to Oz. Jack Pumpkin, yeah. He looks just like Jack Pumpkin. Uh, but um, they, they are they're in this magical land. They're under a curse by the evil witch Conformity. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And um, they have to fight against her generals, which include a dancing... They all dance. A dancing spider... A, uh, uh, a dancing mad scientist uh, like cat thing and, and something else to, to save the day and get rid of conformity and let the, uh, the pumpkins and, and gourds and squashes dance around with each other uh, always to Michael Jackson music um, all, I am not making this up and this is not as fun as it may sound from my description um, all the dance sequences are like cut short to a minute or less so it doesn't even focus really on his music that much. And um, what what do you think the ending is based on that premise? Because I guarantee... Um, something if, happens and conformity becomes good. And then everybody dances. 
I mean, yeah. The, the power that does of happen. love, maybe? Not the power of love, but you're close. That Music. does happen. Um, and we do get to see, at the end, the big, the big twist is, um, it turns out, the dancing pumpkin and the evil, um, the evil spider general, and even conformity, I don't think conformity herself, but like all the other bad guys, are actually Michael Jackson in disguise the whole time. Just like in in every other thing he ever did. Yep, yeah. And, uh, because of that, the, um, he did it to, to teach the lesson that these these uh, kids should not conform to society and follow your heart and play your music. And it ends with the the boy's a DJ and he's DJing the uh, the, the dance show. I, I said she played guitar, but I was wrong. She's a dancer, of course, because it's Michael Jackson. Um, he DJs her very first dance show and everyone loves it. And in the meantime, uh, Michael Jackson gets back in his magic car driven by Bubbles the Chimp. Uh, and they have another mission to go to. And, uh, so there's like a chief they answer to? You never see who that is. They, they have a, a car, sort of a James Bond gadgetry in their limousine that says, oh, this is next target acquired, target acquired. We must kidnap. Um, and not to mention, think of the implications. A Michael Jackson animated special where it's about him capturing children and, <laughs> and forcing them to entertain him with a dance? Yes, and forcing them to leave their lives to teach them lessons on, it'll be okay, you should play your music. Um, it's just, uh, you might get enough out of it, Thrasher, if you can track it down. I, I don't know. It's. it's I, I do love the a, camp, but I don't know. <laughs> If they would have focused more like on... Because I do like Michael Jackson music. If they would have focused more on music and dance sequences, it would have been passable. Because they did motion capture some of Michael Jackson's uh, backup dancers and stuff, and, and some of that stuff looks okay. But the, the character designs are lazy. The, the script is bad. Um, when we see Michael Jackson at the end, uh, what's interesting is the version of Michael Jackson we see is the one from his Thriller video. With the red leather jacket, it's not the modern Michael Jackson um, with the white face and the no no present nose and the, the, the you know the sort of strange look, the strange stubble on his chin. Um, yeah. So, based on that, does that sound interesting or does it just sound bad? It's, it sounds can, interesting and bad. <laughs> like I don't. For think... me, it was just bad, and I was hoping it would be so bad it was funny, but. Um, Apart from the ending, in which I groaned, punched the couch, and took a shot of vodka in despair, um, and there, there's not much to recommend. It's I, I'll be curious to see how it does in the ratings, though, because yeah, I think you're right. They're actually airing it, um, if not tonight, like maybe on Halloween. They're airing it a few times. Um, it does not look like it was that expensive to produce, music rights aside. What have you been watching? <clears throat> well, uh, I watched a lesser-known uh, Ed Wood film. Oh, which one is that? Uh, this was uh, this is the Revenge of Doctor X, which was a, a movie that Ed Wood uh, wrote but did not direct. Story goes that he. Uh, 
think he wrote it as a uh, as like a favor as a favor to a friend. Uh, it was one of the, the I think the last things he wrote before he before he passed. Uh, and it's a it, it's a horror. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it came out uh, eight years before he passed. But it's um, and it's also probably one of those movies that only happened because it was cheap to film overseas. But it's about a NASA scientist, a very bitter, angry NASA scientist, who goes to Japan ostensibly for a vacation, but then decides in the creepy old mansion that he's living in in Japan, he starts gathering plants and sea worms and tries to create a superior life form and creates this weird sea and enemy Venus flytrap monster that eventually goes on a killing spree. So did you see it with the Rift Drax uh, commentary? Both. Oh, and um, how does it hold up on its own? Well, I mean... It's 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 fascinating later day uh, later day Ed Wood and in fact I didn't I I didn't know that it was an Ed Wood movie when I started watching it but I remember thinking about halfway through this feels like an Ed Wood script there's so many doctors there's so many Bella Lugosi mad doctor moments kind of echoing in this and then when I found out it was Ed Wood uh, I was delighted that I I picked up on that. I mean, if you're going to see it, you might as well see the Rift Tracks version, uh, because not everybody is is into Z grade movies as I am. But it's it's a fascinating watch because this is the thing about uh, about Ed Wood. Yeah, most of his movies are terrible, um, but I don't blame him. He has a lot of ambition and he's trying to put as much into his story and as much onto the screen as possible. It's just that, regrettably, very often, other than his imagination, he doesn't have that much to work with. And this is this is one of those movies. The core of this movie is a much better movie than what we actually get. Huh. So, do you think the monster looks good at least, or you won't you won't forget it? Like it is a unique monster design, although it almost looks like something straight out of Power Rangers. So it sounds like I should watch this picture. Is that right? Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would say watch it. Watch Revenge of Doctor X. Some, oh, sometimes also known as Venus flytrap. Is there a Venus flytrap in the picture? Well, that's one of the that's one of the uh, organisms that he bases his monster on, uh, and it does have like little weird Venus flytrap mouth hands. So you're saying it's not just uh, an exploitation title that has no relation to the movie, as they often do. Yeah, like it actually has there. If you see the Venus flytrap version, there are there is Venus flytrap stuff in it. Oh, also a lot of casual toplessness. So if you want to see Ooh. lots of casual nineteen seventies Japanese toplessness, this is another thing to check out. Is this a Japanese movie? Uh, it was shot. A lot of it was shot in Japan. I see. That's, but that's, as that's, far that's as I different. know, it wasn't yeah. actually like produced uh, there. Pretty cool, cool, cool. Yeah. I was looking at something unrelated. Stupidly, I had my eye on a complete Columbo DVD box set. Oh? And the sale price was $35. I should have jumped on it. I didn't. And now it's gone back up to 80 Oh, dang. That sucks. Oh, well. But I, I'm unemployed, so I shouldn't be spending money on stuff. But I should be starting a job in a few weeks. Oh, so, cool. Yeah. Um, but got, got some other stuff. In the, I'll, I'll be vague about it, but well, I'll believe it when the the paperwork comes through. <laughs> no problem. And I'll probably cut this part out of the show to not self-incriminate myself. <laughs> <at all. laughs> 
But we'll leave the silence in. There'll be a nice ex- expanded gap of silence. 30, 30 seconds of silence is uh, radio perfection. Um, okay, so um, anything you want to plug? Oh, uh, let me see. Well, ju- just that uh, 100 Oddities for a Viking Encounter is now available on DriveThruRPG.com and a number of other uh, online uh, online gaming PDF websites. It was my collaboration with Clint Staples. I produced a lot of illustrations for it as well. Uh, that was really fun. Uh, let me see. Uh, you know, also, you know, keep keep posted, uh, keep following uh, on the Ulysses Spiel website the Wrath and Glory updates um, I don't know if they're going to be out by the, they might be out by the time this episode posts, but they're um, in the designer diary for Wrath and Glory, they're going to start putting up uh, uh, contributor profiles, mine will be among them so uh, I'll be appearing on that um, let me see. Oh, um, if you want me to officiate your wedding. So I officiated a friend's wedding over the weekend. Uh, I enjoyed it so much, I'm thinking about doing that as a side business. So if you want your seventh favorite podcaster to officiate your wedding and they're not available, you can get me to do it. Just contact me through the sequel cast or through, uh, through my Twitter handle, at Internet Mayor. Probably your Twitter handle is better for that since it's your fledgling business idea. It's it's a primary point of contact, yes. Yeah. Um, I've been uh, working on some writing lately. I have some been doing some uh, articles for Pro Focus Technology. Um, a few of those should be going up. They're more like like how to computer security, um, computer writing articles. Cool. Uh, also, um, I. One of my pieces went live on Hardcore Gaming 101. I, I took a look at the indie game um, Beat Cop, which is a weird combination of uh, Police Quest and the the recent sort of indie darling uh, Papers Please. So it, it's a uh, it's a computer game where each day you gotta meet objectives for your job, or else you get penalized. And I think when you run out of money, that's like game over, or you can also be killed. And you sort of, it's, uh, you're always rushing against time is the the gimmick with it. And there's a main sort of overarching storyline, there's side missions, you can choose whether to, um, there's two competing interests on your city block. There's the mafia, and there's the, uh, the games, and you can choose who, who you want to align with, but if you align with them too much, you can actually get an ending to the game where you join up as part of the game, or join the mafia. And that's one of the endings because you can use payola and stuff, and it's I quite like it, um, and especially if it's on. I think even when it's not on sale, it's under twenty bucks. Um, they I, they don't have a demo, but on the trailer you can see footage of the game and get the idea of what it's like. It's, it goes for eighties cheese, um, especially in the music. That's for sure. Um, but it's also like rated R dialogue, which is kind of unusual because it's going Very for cool. forty. Going for a 48 hours vibe. Uh, and some people are finding that part of it offensive. It, it, it was developed by people that worked on the Witcher games. You ever play those? The Witch games? The Witcher? Oh, I've, I've heard of them. I have not had a chance to play them yet, although I've had them recommended to me by many people. Yeah, if you like... Um, well, the first game is for the computer and is quite different, but the if, if you like games where you... Um, Oh, games like Dragon Age, right? But think of Dragon Age, but darker and um, 
super super European. I don't know how else to put it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not just in the that's not just in the promiscuity of the sexuality of the game, but the uh, um, it does not feel like a, a a game developed in the United States or Canada, which I, I, I find make it refreshing. Anyhow, beat cop, I enjoy it. Yeah, this is the one that features the famous line, Welcome to prime time, bitch. <laughs> that, that's an excellent uh, excellent Freddy Krueger impersonation there. Here, let, let, oh, me, let me try you. one. Oh, welcome to prime time, bitch. Oh, oh, there's another one. Welcome to prime time, bitch. I'm John Lovitz, and you're on my show. How's that, Freddy Krueger? That's pretty good. I think I, I think I have one more. One more to squeeze out in, of the sausage. Uh, one, one more little yeah, nibble it to squeeze out of the sausage. Um, <laughs> hello, hello, hello! I can sweep the chimney and welcome to prime time, bitch. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think it's time to put this episode to bed. <laughs> what do you want to do as a music cue? Um, I guess, yeah, I guess this show doesn't really have a uh, theme song. Have we done the I mean, Fresh does, Prince Nightmare just... on My Street yet? No, that, that's a good one. In fact, they got sued over that. Oh, yeah, I heard it wasn't it wasn't licensed. Nope. Uh, although it's a damn good uh, Freddy sound alike at the end of the song. Who were those guys? <laughs> Stupid. Did they have a vid- I'm sure they had a video. But I've never <laughs> yeah. seen it. We'll have to break that down too. Theme song to Sequelcast 2 was written and performed by Mark with a C. Listen to his music at markwithac.com. Follow Sequelcast 2 on Twitter at Sequelcast 2. Listen to the show streaming on Stitcher. And don't forget to support the show on Patreon for as low as $1 a month at patreon.com slash Sequelcast 2. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 